Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 4. <clears throat> Let me say a few things about this chapter or just Paul's list. As you think of lists in the Bible... It's amazing uh, that there are many lists of believers in the Bible, and we may look at those lists and probably think, ah, these names really mean nothing, right? Uh, in fact, in the New Testament, believe it or not, Paul mentions over a hundred different Christians. That's amazing, is it not? In the book of Acts, associated with Paul, some of them are named, some of them <clears throat> are unnamed. But then you look at the epistles, just in Romans 16, maybe you ever heard a message on Romans 16, there's 26 different friends mentioned in just that chapter alone. Now, it is true that when you write a letter in Paul's day, it's customary to close the letter with personal greetings. That's what kind of what we're seeing here. And uh, the reason being, friends didn't see one another that much, did they, back in those days? The letter service, obviously... It may be like the United States Postal Service. I don't know how slow back then, but maybe comparable to today. I don't know. But we do have, uh, they were very slow and limited of delivering letters. So Paul's greetings, as you know, were not just social. He's not just writing the book of Colossians to be social. But he wanted to convey his genuine spiritual concerns for his friends. Amen. So we have a list of brethren here who are true friends of Paul. But really, more importantly than that, they were friends of Jesus. Amen. And so... We see six different associates that we are talking about. And we kind of looked last week at Onesimus. And we also looked at uh, Tychicus. It started out in verse 7, and we looked at those two men. Now today, we're going to see chap uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus, Marcus, and then Jesus called Justice. So there's a lot to say about these individuals and what they actually mean to us today or should mean. or What, what is the challenge from these names and these brethren? Let's read the verses and then have a word of prayer. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, 
sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow before you this morning, we want to thank you that we're getting close to the end of this wonderful epistle to the Colossian church. But Father, there's been so much for us in this letter that we can learn today. Father, I pray that you would help us learn from these lists of heroic believers. Father, help us to meditate on the work that you did in their lives and pray that you do the same work unto us in our lives and in our midst today. May we have fellow believers, fellow workers, uh, faithful ministers in our church as what were around the Apostle Paul in that time. So, Father, speak to us today by the power of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Aristarchus, and uh, we're trying to kind of get up some application here. I know when you read the names in the Bible, it's like reading genealogies. What do they really mean and who are these people? But when you start studying the Bible and get behind the scenes, there's a lot of rich teaching and a lot of rich lessons. And I hope that when you see this unfolding in the Bible, you can get excited about reading the list of names and learning about fellow believers. So the first one that we have on our list today is Aristarchus. His name means the best ruler. Now, what does Paul say about him? First of all, he says, my fellow prisoner. Now, think about that. He's identified as Paul's fellow prisoner. Now, he was from Macedonia and Thessalonica to be. Uh, let's go back to Acts and pick up with him. Go to Acts 19, go back and read a little bit about what's going on here. Acts 19, verse 29. Remember in Ephesus what was going on? It talks about Aristarchus there and Gaius who were with Paul. It says, and the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And we know what was going on in Ephesus. So we have uh, Aristarchus as a, go to uh, chapter 20, verse 4. Sorry, we're right here. Acts 20, verse 4. We'll be, we'll, I'll mention it later, but... It's so close. Let's just read it now. And they're accompanying him 
into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, there he is, Thessalonia was in Macedonia, Aristarchus and Segundus, Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. So here he is, a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. And uh, he became a fellow prisoner, as we're learning in our text. This means he was in prison with Paul, and it's possible. Now get this, he was a voluntary prisoner. <laughs> what I mean is, it's he loved Paul so much, he wanted to minister to Paul so much, that he willingly became a fellow prisoner to be with him. That's amazing. Brethren, if you don't have love for Christ and love for Christ's servants, why would you even do such a thing? So it's telling us about his love for Paul. And it's not only telling us of his love, but Brethren, he's a true friend. These are the kind of friends that we need, amen? amen. But I think if we're going to have or need friends, we need to be that kind of friend. Amen. That's what we need to focus on. And so here they are keeping him company at Rome. And the only way those prison guards or even the government of Rome, Roman government allow them to keep company with him is that they themselves had to become a prisoner with him. Brethren, he is a prisoner and it talks about his allegiance to Christ and to Paul. But brethren, not only that, he was so closely related to Paul that even tradition or history tells us that he was martyred by the Emperor Nero. And remember, Paul also, uh, in history, tells us the Apostle Paul was beheaded. Beheaded for this, for the cause of Christ. So here he is, a fellow prisoner, but he's a fellow worker. Isn't that good? It says here, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, Touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, meaning they are Jews. The first three are Jews here mentioned. These only are my fellow workers. Brethren, what could Paul or what could any pastor do or any servant of the Lord? I even think of missionaries. What could missionaries do without fellow workers? Without the assistance of men and women who love the Lord and want to serve God. So what we're seeing here, when you see Aristarchus mentioned, he's one of those that stood out to Paul. One of the ones that maybe became one of the greatest workers that stood out to Paul. 
when you think of working for God, working for the Lord, Aristarchus, what made him great? He didn't look for an easy task. You know, some only want to get involved when it doesn't require much time or much effort or much energy or much sacrifice. Yeah, let me sign up for that one. That's easy. Not Aristarchus. But not only that, he didn't run away when the going got tough. We always say, what would happen in churches in America if persecution comes? How many were going to show up on Sunday when they say, hey, you go in that church, you're going to pay a price. You keep going to church, well, as one of the famous politicians said, we're going to deprogram you. <laughs> we want to deprogram people now. Well, there may be camps one day, persecution to deprogram or try to deprogram Christians. You can read about it. You know, there's people who live in America who came from China who already went through that. They were sent to, by Mao to uh, be deprogrammed, literally. Labor camps, mental education, I mean, break you down and make you a new person. And she said, I already lived through that. Why would I do that? Why would I want to submit to that in America? <laughs> but I often wonder, you know, what they, they didn't want Christianity. The Roman Empire hated Christians. The Jews back then, they thought this is a, this is a cult, a new cult, you know, following Jesus. These are those little Christians. These are the ones who uh, are fanatics. And so, really, you could think about that coming all the way around full circle in our country. So that'll purify the church, would it not? It purified the church, as you know, the underground church in China, the underground church uh, behind the Iron Curtain in Russia. They were pure churches, meaning people were, you know, they already counted the cost, and they were true followers of Christ because they knew, they knew the cost of following Christ, and they were willing to pay that. So that's why I wonder sometimes... Are we just looking for that easy way out? Easy Christianity. Go to heaven on a bed of roses. Not Paul. Not Aristarchus. He's my fellow prisoner. He's my fellow worker. He didn't run away Amen. when the going got tough. In fact, over in Ephesians, remember we were back there uh, in Acts 19, when I go back there, he risked his life. I mean, he could have been killed. They could have pulled him, literally pulled him apart in that riot. So it wasn't an easy thing to 
to travel with Paul, was it? Associate yourself with Paul. And we know that he sailed with Paul to Rome. We find that in the book of Acts. And what happened on that trip to Rome on the boat? How many nights were they in the deep and in the storms and the ship being torn apart? He went through all of that with Paul. And not only did he go through all the storms, all that suffering, he voluntarily goes to prison with him. Amen. Wow, what a man of God. Now do we know why he's mentioned in this letter? And you, you have to understand, remember, we, we don't really bring this out a lot because we, we dealt with Gnosticism, but... Paul says they're of the circumcision. Remember, Gnosticism also had some Judaism in it. So here he is presenting these converted Jews sold out to Jesus, and he's saying to the Colossian church, these men salute you, these men greet you. And certainly, he would be included Uh, In this letter as a a loyalist to Paul, amen, Uh, also to Jesus. And that would be another nail in the coffin of the Gnostic cult at Colossae, amen. And it would strengthen the believers who were fighting that cult. Hey, look at these men. They're faithful. They're fellow prisoners. They're fellow workers. They don't give up, amen. And he's trying to get the message. Don't give up. Amen. Then we move on. Just learning a few things. John Mark, a defense, is his name. When you think of John Mark, how important of a disciple is John Mark in the Bible? Well, can anyone think of one important thing that he did? The Gospel of Mark. That bears his name. Now, what a message. Here's a man who God chose to be the human writer of the Gospel of Mark, right? But we see a few more things, and then we're going to learn about them. How did he get to that position? And what could God do in your life? Amen? If you just let him. I think, uh, go to back to the book of Acts. Think about his mother. Wow, what a place to grow up in. A home of Mary. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. What happened in, in John Mark's home growing up? What, what kind of servant of the Lord was his mother? Well, we find out a few things here. Uh It says, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many many were gathered together praying. Now, remember, this is the story where Peter's in prison and the church is praying. At the house, Mary, his mother, John Mark's house. They're all praying there, and God sends an angel, delivers Peter, and he comes and knocks on the door, 
and Rhoda goes to answer the door, and she's like, and, and she gets excited and runs away and goes, no, Peter's out there. She left, it, left him outside, locked the door, you know, still left him outside the gate. She runs in. No, it's not Peter. It's his angel. It can't be Peter. He's in prison. No, it's Peter. <laughs> and uh, John Mark lived all that. Isn't that amazing? In fact, her home, get this, may be the upper room scene of the Lord's Last Supper. Her home may be where they were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Wow! What this young man was experienced, you know, how he's related to Mary. Also, we know that he is related to Barnabas. Barnabas, it says right here in our, uh, sorry, I, I'm in Acts, but in our text, what does it say about Barnabas there? Uh, how is he related? It says, <clears throat> John Mark, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. So here we have a young man who his uncle is Barnabas. And we do pick up in the book of Acts, in chapter 13, what happens? The Lord calls out Barnabas and Saul, all right? At this point, Barnabas is the leader. But it says in verse 5, when they departed from Antioch, they were sent by the Holy Ghost, sent by the church, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and had also John to their minister. So here we are on the first missionary journey and you have John Mark with Paul and Barnabas. Now, if you break down the rest of the chapter, you're going to find out, man, the first thing, look at verse 6, just to give you an idea. What did they face? And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet. So here they are on the front lines, facing the devil, facing the sorcerer, facing the false prophet. And here's John, young John Mark in all of this, on that first missionary journey. Peter later calls him my son. Being a Jew, he could have been led to the Lord by the apostle Peter. He was an important disciple, but he was a failed disciple too. This is the this is the message we find in John Mark. The Bible tells us in this, as we're in Acts 13, he's going through, he's facing all these difficulties. And it says at the end of verse 
or verse 13. Well, let's just read 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Pergamon and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. He left them. He departed. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us everything why he quit. But he quit. Perhaps he was afraid. Uh, they were going to move into very, he already experienced danger. Now they're going to move into more dangerous territory. And he's, he maybe he just thought, that's not for me. Maybe the fact that Paul began leading the group instead of his uncle. Maybe he got offended. We're talking about flesh and blood here. We're talking about real human relationships, real emotions, things that get us stirred up today. He's a young man. Maybe he didn't like the fact, being a Jew, that Paul's going to the Gentiles. Now, Peter was going to the Jews. Peter led him to the Lord. Maybe he's struggling there. What's going on here? We don't know every reason. But we do know this, that Paul and Barnabas actually separated over him. They divided, they parted company. Go to Acts 15. Remember at the end, uh, they get done with their first missionary journey. And uh, we find at the end of chapter 15, verse 36, they want to go back out now and visit the churches. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. So that's Paul's opinion. He left us. He departed. He quit working. He quit serving God. Why do we want to take him back again? Verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed on the Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So brethren, uh, we're not here to decide, okay, was Paul wrong? Was Barnabas wrong? You know, a lot of people want to find, okay, you know, who, 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 who was the one right and wrong in this situation? I don't think God really wants us, because God doesn't tell us all these details about right and wrong and Paul. But we do know that Paul was recommended by the grace of God and went forward with the church's blessing. Barnabas, it seems like he took 
John Mark and went away. Now, Paul, you could see what kind of man he was. He was interested in winning souls, starting churches, and uh, he didn't care about if there was danger or inconvenience in the path. It's not going to hinder me. And if you're not willing to go that route, then you just stay. Don't go with us. And I think that's his opinion. He just looked at this young man, you're not ready. You can't. You already failed once. Don't go with us. But aren't you thankful the Bible doesn't end there? And this is like us. Maybe you look back in your life and there was a chapter in your life that you failed God. You failed to do the will of God. You failed to serve God. You know what he was doing in your life. But not only is he a, a, a failed disciple, he's a restored disciple. Amen. I think that's what God wants us to learn about John Mark. Not so much, okay, he failed and he left and that's terrible. No, God has a message for us. And we see... One thing in chapter 15, he didn't sit around and sulk. You know, a lot of people fail God, and now all they do is think about their failure, how much they fail God. Brethren, he was right back there with Barnabas. He wanted to go on that missionary journey. He was willing to get up and serve God again. That's a good thing. Now, Paul said you're not ready from Paul's uh, opinion. But aren't you thankful today that he got right back up and he got back into the ministry and he proved himself. Amen. That he was worthy disciple, that he really loved the Lord, that he really wanted to serve God. Amen. And you know what? Not only did he prove that to the Lord, he proved it to the Apostle Paul. Now, one of the things that we ought to recognize here, and this is for uh, all of us, and I, I don't know why, I guess I didn't put it in here, but I want you to think about Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas was an encourager of young believers. Barnabas encouraged Saul. Remember when Saul got saved and the brethren didn't want to receive him in Jerusalem? And Barnabas went up with Saul to Jerusalem, said, hey, he's a real believer. He's a true brother. Let me tell you about him. And that's Barnabas. You know, all of us should have someone we're trying to lift up, someone we're trying to encourage, someone we're trying to build up like Barnabas. Remember what his name is? The son of consolation. The encourager. And he did it to Saul and he did it to John Mark. And that's a blessing. But we do know this, that John Mark made it all the way to Rome. To be with Paul. We don't know 
what role Barnabas played, his uncle. In fact, we could speculate maybe Barn his uncle was already dead by now. And here he, here he is left, and he's like, let me go visit Paul. He respected Paul. So he, was, he felt afresh that tug of Paul's personality, that magnetism that he had. Yeah, that, think about that first meeting they had after so many years of being separated. Think about that first emotional meeting. And to think, when we go to our text about Marcus, he was one of the few Jews willing to stand by Paul when he was imprisoned. That's what it's telling us here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. You see how important it is? Paul's talking about John Mark, and he's saying, hey, if he comes to you, you receive him. Maybe some of them were like, well, we don't know about John Mark. We heard about him. Paul gave special commandment, receive him. And Paul trust him. Isn't that a blessing? Paul trust him now to go back to Colossae to be a, a blessing to that church. He's saying he's a valuable man to me. We know that he was closely related to Peter. In fact, the Bible tells us he was with Peter in Babylon in 1 Peter 5.13, Mark's story. So I want you to think about this. What does Paul say about this young man? 2 Timothy 4.11. 2 Timothy 4.11. These are one of these verses that you want to underline and remember in your Bible. Amen. Knowing everything that happened with this young man. Knowing that he became a great man of God. And that he truly got back into the ministry. And God used him to pen the gospel of Mark. He says, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is what? Profitable to me for the ministry. Amen. Brethren, this is what God wants to do in all of our lives. No matter if we fail him, he wants to lift us up. He wants to strengthen us. He wants us to be useful again. He wants to restore us so that we can be profitable in the ministry. Amen. So Mark is forgiven. And brethren, the, the message is, if you want to be forgiven today, if you want to get things right, you can do it. Just Amen. like John Mark. Amen. Last of all, but not least of all, Jesus justice. Jehovah is salvation. And his justice names mean just. Now, what do we know about these men? I think bringing out this name, Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision, we need to know he's a Jewish man. What does this tell us about the name Jesus? And I hope everyone receives this within the context of the Bible. Because today, Jesus' name is a holy name. 
It's a special name, as we read in scriptures. But back in that day, it was a common name. It was an ordinary name. The Jews used the name Jesus. But I want you to understand, uh, isn't it amazing that the Lord of glory bore a common name, Jesus of that day? Now we know the significance, don't get me wrong, it comes from Joshua, it comes from Jehovah's salvation, but it still was a common name in use. And I know we sit here and we read this, and it's kind of startling to us to come across the name Jesus in the Bible other than the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You probably read that and you thought, man, and Jesus? Man, that's not right, you know? <laughs> Let's just call him justice, not Jesus. Yes, it is a holy name. Do not get me wrong. But we see he was a religious man because of this too. He was of the circumcision. I think Paul brings this out, who are of the circumcision, to help us understand that these men belong to that rigorous form of Judaism. Remember, those of the circumcision were the ones who had dogged Paul's footsteps. They subverted his converts. They spread their uh, work salvation legalism, and they did their best. Remember, they followed Paul around to undermine his ministry. And so that's what the, the word circumcision is talking about. Now, could have been of the Jews who lived in Rome. And the Jews in Rome rejected Christ. The Jews in Rome were known to turn a cold shoulder to Paul and his preaching. We won't go there, but the book of Acts tells us about that in chapter 28. But he was a Jewish man. He was a religious man. And I'm not bringing you all this information up on the screen but I should he's a Jewish man a religious man but aren't you thankful today he's a converted man he turned from his religion to Christ in fact Acts tells us of that decision he probably was among the group tells us in Acts 28 24, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. So here's a man who believed. He became a believer. He turned from his false religion to Christ. And today, let us be reminded of this thing. Religion cannot save you. Religion cannot change you in any way. Only Christ can. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 tells us Jesus said this concerning our righteousness. What, if you don't have the righteousness of Christ, then you're not saved. Because your own righteousness, the best you can produce is just religion. 
And God doesn't receive that. It's your works. Matthew 5.20. Jesus said it this way. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we know, and he begins to condemn them as hypocrites, right? They say and do not. So he was condemning their righteousness. But brethren, as we know, the whole Bible, the whole New Testament, Romans chapter 10, says this about righteousness. Romans 10, Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, that's in Christ, going about to establish their own righteousness, that's religion, works. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, here's the answer. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So when you believe, you're made righteous. Amen. God clothes you with his righteousness by grace. Not because of works. Amen. By faith. When you believe in Christ. When you turn from your false religion to Christ. Amen. You become converted. But you also, he, he was a changed man. Amen. Amen. We know there were some things that he did. And there's some things that we ought to do, brethren, when we're saved. Let's just look at, restrict ourselves or our text here. What did he do? He said in verse 11, And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my what? Fellow workers. Again, that comes up with Jesus, Justice. Unto the kingdom of God. And it says. Which have been. A comfort unto me. Brethren. These men. Stood with Paul. Shoulder to shoulder with Paul. Amen. They became close. Companions with Paul. So important were these men. That Paul mentioned them. In this letter. That remember we're talking about. The word of God that's preserved for thousands of years unto us today. We're still reading about these men. Amen. Now that word comfort is the idea of a soothing balm unto this soul. Ministering to his needs. You know the Greek word it talks about paragoric uh, and really, paragoric was a soothing drug. A soothing drug is the idea. And so this, this paragoric, this, this uh, is like a medical term, but it's talking about that comfort, that soothing balm that he received from this man. But also, not only was he a comfort, he worked Fellow workers under the kingdom of God. Brethren, what is the kingdom of God? Amen. What are we doing here? 
What's, what did God leave us here for? He didn't leave us here just to build our own little kingdoms, amen? Some think that. He left us here to work unto the kingdom of God, to be fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And one of those things that Matthew 6.33 says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, amen. Brethren, when Paul or Jesus preached in John 3, he says, ye must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And so we're preaching salvation, working for the kingdom of God. It's trying to get souls born again to come into the kingdom of God. Working for the kingdom of God means putting God first in your life, putting his righteousness first, putting his word first. That's what working under the kingdom of God. And these men were fellow workers. Think about these, this group here. These, this group were Jewish believers. What are they characterized by? Faithfulness. Standing firm in the hour of special need. How do we need that today in our churches? Amen. They stayed by his side no matter how difficult the circumstances of life became. Amen. They were true friends who ministered to his needs. Amen. Amen. Brethren, uh, they were a source of comfort to him. They labored. You know, could you imagine Paul's in prison? These men kept preaching. Didn't that encourage him? He said he's stuck and they're out there doing the work. Amen. That was an encouragement, amen, to see they became a comfort. I ask you today just a few questions. You know, I think about these men and I'm like, can anyone say these things about us? What things have we turned from our religion to Christ? Are we trusting Jesus alone for our eternal salvation? Are we ministering to others the needs of our brethren? Are we a source of comfort to someone? Can someone say, oh man, thank you. You know, that was a blessing. That was a comfort. Are we working under the kingdom of God? Can someone say, no, that person is dedicated, amen. That person puts God first. That person is preaching. You know, they always preach to you the gospel. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always talking about salvation, amen. So, brethren, that's the application to us. What wonderful men. What heroic believers. And my son said it right. When I gave him the title originally, he's smiling over there. He did say it right. I thought about it. I gave him the title. Yeah, God's Hall of Fame of Heroic Believers. And he said, Dad, all believers are heroic. And that should, that, 
you know what, I, what I'm saying is we're still writing the story. Remember when I started out last week? We're still writing the story. One day that roll calls in heaven. Our name's on the list. Our name is there. And our works are going to be displayed. And people are really going to know about us. Like these men. Let's live that way. Let's be like this. Amen. Because it's true. It's going to happen. There is a book about us. Written in heaven. And let it say these things about us too. Amen. Let's all stand every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for your attention. But let's go to the Lord in prayer.